The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to episode 138 of Cars and Culture on Sirius XM. It's good to have you back listening again. I'm your host, Jason Stein. Just as quickly as it ended, Formula One is about to fire up its engines again. The racing, the energy, the excitement around the world, all of it roaring into the 2024 season and with full momentum in the United States, a country that has been an enigma for years within F1. What is clear is that all the stops on the U.S. calendar now firmly hold a special place in the hearts of longtime fans and new fans to the sport. Nowhere is it hotter than in Miami. Incredibly, Miami is about to go into another installment, having managed through COVID complications, then a surge following that period, and now into the next iteration of the race, a go-to on the international calendar. And why not? The race location represents all of the elements that make a Formula One destination special. Could it be better than in Miami? Star power, a unique location, drivers and teams that fit the atmosphere for an international race. At the wheel is a longtime sports executive who has applied his own racing experience, sports know-how, and a hardworking edge to make it all better. Tyler Epp, president of the Formula One Miami, isn't from South Florida. He's from a small Midwest town with all of the gratitude and team-building principles to make the race a special spot on the calendar. Today, he talks about the success of last year's Miami Grand Prix and the future of the location. He gives us a glimpse into what's changing and where improvements will be made. Mostly, he tells his own unique story of how the kid from Kansas made it to the big leagues and now the global stage. What a ride it's been. What a ride to go. We talk all things 2024 F1 Miami as the curtain is about to drop on a new season in the sport that begins a month from now. Tyler Epp on Cars and Culture. Hi, I'm Tyler Epp, and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. He's one of the fastest men in racing because he's part of one of the fastest, coolest, hottest circuits in America. And now he's on this program. I'm so happy to have you, Tyler. We're a long way from our first meeting in St. Petersburg with the first IndyCar race of the season uh, last year. Here we are. Welcome in. Yeah, thanks for thanks for letting me join you, Jason. We're excited to join you. Yeah, of course. It's a It's a pleasure to have you. You know this uh, this race has been all the talk um, of of the U.S. Uh, certainly globally over the last couple of years. Now that we're at the end of the Formula One season, and I know it takes about a hot minute before it gets started again, but let's let's get your read on 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 how you felt twenty twenty three went. Uh, not only from a Miami perspective, of course, we'll dive into that, but from a racing perspective. Look, I I, I have to speak up for the the fine men and women who pull the event off in Miami first and foremost um, to come into a second year um, and, you know, pull off the event in many ways, very successful for us. I, I would, I'd have to start there and say, we we're very proud of the work that was done. We were proud of the impact on the community. And hopefully we left, you know, all of our key stakeholders leaving, walking away out of uh, the Miami international autodrome with experiences that hopefully they'll never forget. Um, and I, I know we'll get a chance to talk more about that, but but I, I would first and foremost, you know, uh, thank and applaud the efforts of the people here in Miami. 
you know, secondly, I think the, the, the season as a whole, you know, I, it's been, it's been an interesting road for us as, you know, fairly new members of the F1 fraternity or, or, or the F1 industry, I should say, um, you know, we've, we've been a quick study in terms of the differences between, you know, historical American motorsport and what we're seeing globally. Um, and certainly there are, from a product perspective, there's, you know, different acceptance all over um, for what, you know, a great season is. And I would tell you, you know, we view it from our perspective as a great racing season. Um, it's a historic season. And what what Max and, and obviously the team at Red Bull did um, is historic. And um, we, we, we really just began to appreciate, you know, what was happening there. The, the, we certainly heard all the comments about actually wins every race and all that. But goodness, Jason, I think to think about the the quality of the car that, that Adrian and his team put together and the leadership of Christian and his team and Jonathan and what they did. And obviously the quality of the, the individual that sits behind the wheel um, it, it's historic. And we were thankful to be along for the ride, a small part of the ride. The F1 industry. I like the way you say that. It's funny. We talked on this program before uh, with a bunch of other um, formula one uh, individuals, total wolf, Zach, and we talked about the the expansion in the U.S. and the uh, Stefano uh, as well uh, shared with us his view that uh, there's really an opportunity here for America to to gravitate toward the sport, which of course the diehards have been uh, admiring for a very long period of time. But what are you seeing in terms of the American um, attitude and the emphasis uh, toward the sport, the acceptance really of the sport? Yeah, look, I, I think it I think there's two big points I would make, Jason. And I think, you know, as as you've talked to, you know, the key, you know, movers in the sport, I, I it's interesting to get their perspectives, right? Because some of them are coming at it very from a very European perspective, some of them are coming at it globally, some of them are coming at it commercially. You know, I, I think from our perspective, we certainly seen great interest in our race. And we we continue to see great interest in the Grand Prix you know, via television ratings, via merchandise, you know, via just general interest socially, um, you know, Formula One does a nice job of giving us a lot of touch points and a lot of data on that. I think the interesting thing and, and something that we've got to do a better job as a promoter um, is working closely with, you know, Bobby and, and Austin and Renee in, in Las Vegas to make sure that we're working together to really define who that US F1 fan is. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we're all consumers. You know, we, we all like to buy um, and consume products and services in a way that we want that consumed. And I think the thing that we've really learned in our other sports and entertainment businesses has been that it's critically important to be able to give our customer or our buyer or our partner what they want in the medium in which they want it in a digestible way for them to make it easy to gain more traction, right? And so that's good for our business when we can figure that out. And I would tell you, we're still very early in that process and we're working hard, just like the other two promoters in America are, and, and certainly maybe even North America as we've had, you know, built relationships with, you know, our friends in Montreal and, and Mexico as well, have these same conversations. So on one hand, we've certainly seen great interest and, and we're fortunate in, in Miami here to have seen that interest continue to hold and grow outside of South Florida and across the kind of our, our domestic marketing platform. 
But also, like, I think it's incumbent upon those who are engaged and invested in the sport to make sure we understand who those people are and not group them into one big category of USF1 fans. Because I don't think that's fair. And that's not how U.S. consumers are generally used to being treated. They're generally treated in a way that it's very individualized, especially with the the growth of the kind of e-commerce ecosystem. I was surprised to see that in the first year of the race, the Miami race, 60 to 70% of the fans attending were from South Florida. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I was, that was um, not something that I would have expected. Did that change at all this year? It did change a bit. Although I would tell you, we're still tracking over 50% in terms of the people who are coming to the race. And I would clarify that who are giving us a, a South Florida zip code. Right. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we've learned, you know, in, and again, I'm, I'm fairly new to South Florida. I've been here less than three years is that there's a lot of people in South Florida who have a condo apartment house here that they don't spend the whole year in. And so I I do think that's a bit, uh, probably a bit skewed. Um, But look, I I think the point is this, is that there is an appetite for Formula One racing and high-end entertainment here in South Florida. And I think we benefit from that tremendously. So to answer your question directly, Jason, it did did adjust a little bit down, but, but not very much, not significantly. And, and look, our team has, has tried to make a point of saying, you know, Latin America, Mexico, like those are areas that have really indexed highly for us in terms of guests coming to Miami in general, but especially for the Grand Prix. So, you know, we, we began much more outreach and more aggressive outreach to those communities and making sure that we're building a, a package that makes it easy for them to come. Same for our European guests. You know, we're seeing an uptick on that side as well of people on the European side of things saying, hey, we'd love to come and check out Miami. And look, I can't say enough about this community and this city and the the area of the world in which we live. You know, we're very, very fortunate to have a place. You know, I was was on the phone this morning with Niels Vidic, who, who was the race director for the FIA, you know, and he's he's going to vacation here for for a bit over the holiday. And, you know, we don't you know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from a tiny little town outside of Wichita. Like no one's going there um, over the holiday. So um, <laughs> we're very fortunate. We're benefit, we benefit tremendously from the attachment to uh, to the Miami community. Yeah. And I would think and you've said this in the past, I would echo it. There'd be a European headline of coming to visit Miami. I mean, that, right. that's like a natural well, let's you know, let's let's go to South Florida in in May from Europe and really experience America and also racing that we love in a in a um, in a completely different environment. So I've I've got to believe that it's gonna it's gonna skew, especially because you're combining a couple of different products as well. Because the NFL, of course, which you you have a strong affiliation to, has made its move into Europe. There's a cross pollinization there, right, Tyler? I think so. Um, look, I, I would tell you, um, you know, my my previous life, you know, I worked for the the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously the NFL team in Kansas City. And so I was part of a, a, a game in Mexico City. We were part of a game in London. And then I was fortunate enough uh, for our owners, you know, Steve Ross and then Tom Garfinkel uh, allowed me to join uh, the team when the Dolphins, when they played in Frankfurt uh, here about a month ago. And so I, I will say I have a bit of experience in watching the NFL, you know, kind of go push their domestic barriers into uh, Europe and both and Mexico as well. And look, I, I can't say enough about, you know, what that team does. They have consistently gotten better. They've consistently built a fan base there. When you go to these markets now, they do a great job of making it feel like an event and it's an NFL event. That being said, in so many ways, you know, F1 is, is you know, lapping the competition as it relates to dropping the circus into a community and having it take over. Um, 
And, you know, we, I saw that on a, on a very small scale in the NASCAR and, and IndyCar world as I was kind of growing up in this business. But what Stefano and his team have done uh, to, to put on a show for the consumer when they show up in a community and support the promoter in that can't be understated. And, and they deserve a lot of credit for that because, you know, whether it was Bernie or, or, Chase, or, or Chase or everybody along the way, I will tell you that it, it is, it is a feeling. And, and for those of us who have had the opportunity to go to multiple Grand Prix, I think we can all attest to the fact that when you're dropped into that market, it feels like something is happening there. Yeah. I just had the chance to visit Las Vegas recently for the formula one race and um, it didn't feel like the Las Vegas that I knew uh, yeah. previously. Well, the number of people that I had comments from who were there for other things as they were building the circuit, yeah. it, 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 you know, what Renee and her team did there, <laughs> it cannot be understated. That is incredibly difficult, you know, and the folks in Singapore and the folks in Baku and, and some of the other prominent street races, Monaco around the world, they'll tell you, even on the IndyCar side, like, you know, what, what, what they do in St. Pete and what they do in Long Beach, what they did in Baltimore. I mean, that those are, those are huge efforts to try to turn city streets into a fully functioning FIA grade one certified racing circuit. It, it is not for the faint of heart. What have you learned over the last couple of years about doing exactly that? Jason, I mean, I, smarter now about how to run all this, right? As I, opposed to, I don't know if, if I'm smarter. I think we as a team are smarter. Right. Um, I think we've gotten better. I think we've made better decisions. Um, but I would say, you know, I, I was sitting with, with Sheikh Salman, um, who's the promoter on Bahrain when I was in Las Vegas. And, you know, he was telling me they're getting ready to, you know, they, they've already passed their decade and they're on into their second decade of that race. And I think about, you know, everything he has learned and how we're only heading into year three and we have so much more to learn. So I would say we, we come at it with a humility. We come at it with a, there is so much still to learn and to do and to grow and evolve. But yeah, look, I, I think our team is better. Um, but look, I, I would tell you the same thing that I would have told you, you know, when I was sitting on a pit box in, you know, Bristol, you know, 15 years ago, it's, it's still all about your people. It's still all about, you know, building a community of people who are pulling in the right direction. And we're so fortunate, you know, you know, Steve and Tom give us the opportunity to chase these dreams, you know, and they, and, and not everybody gets that. We were, I'll, I'll share the story with you. We were, we, we do a, an all staff kind of F1 catch up every month um, in the fall, right. When we're kind of in planning and prepping stage. And we, we did ours this last, yeah, it was the last Tuesday or Wednesday. And so we all gathered in our paddock club building and, you know, we just basically share information and make sure people are kind of aligned and on the same page, just like any other business would do. And I looked out there and, you know, Jason, there, there were almost 300 people in the room. And I think about the other promoters with whom we built relationships and, and shared challenges and, you know, cried in our beer together and then celebrated together. And I don't think any other promoter has the resource that we do. Right. And, and that's to Steve and Tom's credit for, for having a vision and really operating this as a shared service group. And, you know, as as football hopefully begins to, to wane here toward the end of January and, and hopefully finishing with the Super Bowl in February, you know, we, we've got the cavalry is coming. Right. You know, first it kind of hits to, to, to our tennis business and then, you know, we get everybody on board to try to really help put this race together and. I can't say enough about that model and, and, and how much resource we have there. And, 
but it, it is all about that room of people, Jason. It is. It's it's not only driving the revenues, but it's making the operations efficient. It, it's it's honoring. You know, we, we the, the gentleman used to run our community outreach here. Jason Jenkins, you know, passed away. Um, you know, but over a year ago, and and but honoring him with the community programming in our in our community here in Miami Gardens. It's not one thing. It's a whole bunch of things and a whole bunch of pieces and parts that come together to pull off a Grand Prix. You made so many changes, you and the team in 23. Uh, one one significant one was to pull people inside the football stadium and and really create this garage atmosphere that's unlike anything uh, that I've seen before. I was, I, I've been at the Austin race and it's a very different than being in a football stadium <laughs> where you have garage access. That was one of the major things that the team changed. In summation now, having had a you know, number of months to sit back and think about it, what did you like about what you did in 23 that you changed? Well, I'll tell you what I like the most is, is that the team was honest with, with each other. Right. And there were areas that we did not deliver what we, what we intended. And we were honest about it. We put our best people onto those areas and we attacked. Um, we didn't sit and hope and worry and, you know, explain away and just hope it got better um, because it's easy to do, right? It's easy to say, well, we, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. So I guess we just got to leave it. it that That's not in our DNA here. Um, I'll come back to it again, like to have Steve Ross and Tom Garfinkel behind us. They allow us to think like that, right? They allow us the opportunity to go in and attack a problem and not just sit idly by. So I, I, again, I can't say enough about those guys to, to allow us to do what we do, but I was really proud of the team for attacking an area that of opportunity and making it better. The other thing I would say about it is I, I think when, when promoters build in general, when promoters build uh, these Grand Prix, right. We all think about our, our key stakeholders and they're different, right. In every, in every situation, some of them are very heavily governmental, like in the middle East, you've got different challenges with royalty and different investment groups. And um, we certainly don't have that here, but we, we have our kind of group of key stakeholders. And I would tell you that there are three areas that we did not do a good job delivering in year one, right. We, we didn't take good enough care of the teams. We didn't take care good enough care of our partners at Formula One, and we didn't take care about, uh, good enough care of our staff. And that one is it never gets the headlines, and it never gets uh, taken into consideration. But you know, we hired a new leader enterprise wide of kind of our our guest service experience named Jose Mola, and he came in, and the first thing he said to me was, he said, Tyler, you know, you sit here and and, and talk about our partners, and you talk about our our, our season ticket, our, our our ticket buyers, and you talk about the media, and you talk about all these different people you're not talking about the 10,000 people who pull this thing off. Hmm. You have to give them more attention. And that is a common thread across the world. And we talk to other promoters is you're only as good as the person who's standing, scanning a ticket, or you're only as good at the person who's handing the person, you know, the drink that they just bought. And so credit to Jose, but, but I, I think we made some improvements there. Um, but so, but very proud of the team for attacking the things that didn't go well, um, you know, Gabby Alexan is, is somebody who will never get named in an article, but it was absolutely her execution of the paddock um, and that process that really pulled it together. So very proud of, of, of what was what was put together. And look, we've got improvements we've got to make, you know, year over year, and we're going to do those and make it even better next year. How so? What does 24 look like? I know you're going to be releasing or increasing daily capacity. 
um, as one of the measures that you'll do. What else do you want to change? Yeah, look, in the daily capacity, again, it, it's all about it's all about the the, the the customer and the buyer, right? It, we will never increase capacity to a point where we don't feel like we can manage lines and manage restroom lines and manage co- consumer, uh, you know, ingress and egress. That that is still primary for us. You know, we've it's never been we have to get to one hundred thousand or one hundred twenty thousand or ninety thousand or whatever the number is per day. It's always been about the fan experience first. So, you know, look, for us, it's not it's it's really about evolution this year. You know, we we've luckily been very fortunate to build, you know, over 30 different product experiences around our campus. Um, and you're gonna see us lean into those. The marina will be back um amidst mm-hmm. all of the 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 ribbing that we get. Uh we, we never take ourselves <laughs> too seriously on that and are always happy for the media to give us a hard time. Um Hard Rock will be back, obviously, with with their beach and they've got a, a new set of of entertainment, you know, we're, we're, we're pleased to be able to, to build our podium on the south side of our stadium again, kind of right in the midst of one of our luxury areas, but with vision to the, um, the really the campus pass buyer, um, which those tickets will go on sale here probably toward the end of January, which is our GA ticket. Um, and look, we, we've also taken a page out of some of the other promoters book and we're selling a rotating pass. Uh, grandstand pass right so a very american thing is to be able to sit in the stadium and see the whole field um and frankly an american motorsports perspective is often sitting in a stadium and being able to see the majority of the race track i remember what now 20 years ago when, when i was part of the the build at kansas speedway you know they they really made this big point about how they were going to dig the racetrack down into the inner bowl so that from the third row of the grandstand you could see the entire racetrack right so americans are programmed to be able to see the entire environment in front of them you know we we you put enough one circuit in america that's a that's a hard ticket to get right where you can sit and see the whole race circuit so you know, again, credit to Josh Young on our ticket sales team, but he said, you know, look, we should be selling a rotating pass where you sit in multiple different grandstands on the different days and let's price them accordingly. And those have sold really, really well for us. Um, so we think we might be onto something there from the American consumer that's a little bit more, let's say, uh, like curated for the experience that they expect. So, look, we're, we're really excited. Campus Pass will be huge for us. The, the paddock will be back on the field again with access to the the, the, the general ticket buyer. Um, and look, we're, we're consistently proud of some of our luxury areas as well that continue to get a lot of headlines for us. But I would tell you that we're probably as focused this year as we've ever been on trying to make sure that the grandstand buyer and the, again, GA buyer that we call Campus Pass um, has a, an amazing experience I'll never forget. Spoken like a true F1 professional. Uh, you've referenced it a couple of times, so I want to dig into a little bit, Tyler. Wichita. Did you think the guy from Wichita would be discussing things like paddock clubs and <laughs> garages for formula one and i have to clarify i'm actually from newton so it's a okay. suburb it's a suburb of the of the huge metropolis of wichita um newton kansas newton kansas yeah so look i i and i moved to lawrence when i was 10 uh which is again a, a small town outside of, of kansas city which is where i grew up either way like you know, there Newton. There's sixteen thousand people. It was a little railroad town, and Lawrence is, you know, still a hundred thousand person college town, uh, where the University of Kansas is based. So, look, I I can't say enough. It's it's like all of our careers, though. Like we have help from people who give us opportunities and get to kind of live out our childhood dreams. You know, um, and and I'm, I'm beyond blessed and fortunate. But without you know Tom and Steve and and so many other influences that I've had. Um, there's no opportunity to be able to do this with this team of people. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with Tyler Epps, president of the Formula One Miami Grand Prix. To watch my interview with him, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 135 interviews and more than 1,000 videos.
The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm your host, Jason Stein. Now the continuation of my conversation with Tyler Epp, president of the Formula One Miami Grand Prix. To see my interview with Tyler, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 135 interviews and more than 1,000 videos. Professional sports and racing, how did you get there? How did you, what was the stepping stone to get you where you are today? Yeah, so... Um... You know, I, I I was in law school um, back in in Kansas after a, a very short lived and and very below average college tennis career out in in North Carolina, and uh, you know I was I was hell bent on making sure that I didn't have to practice law for a living, frankly. Um, and so <laughs> I was uh, you know I interned, lived out of my car one summer, worked for this agency out in North Carolina, and kind of got hooked into the the track promoter in Kansas, which was about twenty minutes. Uh, from the law school and I went and they you know a, a person at the agency kind of vouched for me and, and I got in there as an intern and, and worked there all through school and the uh, the NASCAR race uh, the year of uh, let's see it would be the, in 2002 um, I was walking around with with Joe Montana um, and he had been a former partner of Chip Ganassi I mean Cart. And so he wanted to go say hello to say hello to Chip. So we walked across the garage, and he popped up on the pit box. And of course, I stood down there in my my oversized pants and and weird looking track shirt. And this guy comes up to me and starts talking to me, and we kind of hit it off a little bit. Um, and that guy was Tom Garfinkel, and mm -hmm. so I went to work for him. Um, you know, a couple months later, um, you know, toward the end of my my third year of law school, and. Um, you know, I, I, I can't say enough about the road that he's taken me on. So we worked together in, in Ganassi, obviously, for almost five years and then worked together again at Hall of Fame Racing and where he was one of the owners. And I had the opportunity to GM at the experienced age of 29 and and then uh, had the opportunity to work in baseball together. And we split ways in, in, in the NFL, but then had the opportunity to come back and pursue something we both love, which is which is open wheel racing. So uh, it's been he's been beyond a blessing and um huge influence on me personally and professionally. What'd you learn at Ganassi? You know, we've had a number of um, yeah. owners <clears throat> on this program. We have not had Chip, but yeah. I think they all come well, from the same milk. Yeah, look, you know what? I, I would say this. Um, you know, I, I do find myself, um, I find myself leaning back on those years a lot, Jason. Um, great people there. Um, and and as Chip would tell you, you know, he doesn't always see eye to eye with everybody. And, and I was no different. You know, and I was a snotty, you know, mid twenties kid who probably didn't always say the right things or do the right things, but we did share a common passion for competing and people that like to win and like to compete do well with chip. Um, and, you know, Mike Hall and, and Barry and Scott Harner and those guys on the IndyCar side and Andy Graves and Donnie Wingo and Jimmy Elledge and the guys on the NASCAR side, you know, Tony Glover, I, th those guys in a weird way had huge influences on me. You know, I spent a lot of time, you know, sitting in haulers and leaning on tires and learning kind of life lessons. Um, I remember a long conversation one afternoon with J.D. Gibbs, 
about why he does what he does and the influence of his dad and how he manages his family and being on the road. Like those are, those are days I, I can't, uh, I, I wouldn't replace with anything. And, and look, Chip, Chip made that possible for me personally. I got to travel the country and which I thought was like the greatest thing in the world. And I got to be a part of a competitive environment and learn some good lessons and some not good lessons. But the, the one thing that, that sticks with me mostly about Chip is his will. Um, he wills things to happen. And um, he was very inspiring in that way. And, you know, to this day, there's, there's arguably no, nobody is successful um, in American open wheel racing with maybe one exception, which we all, who all we all know who that might be. Um, but he would shudder at that. Um, but goodness sakes, uh, to, to his credit, he, and he, he taught me from the very beginning, it's all about getting the right people and then getting them all pulling in the right direction. I know it sounds simple, but it's hard to do, especially at a race team level. Yeah. And then how about the transition into, into pro sports and baseball and, and, and football, how, how easy and or difficult was that for you? What'd you learn? Yeah. You know, I, I, gosh, it feels like so long ago. I, it, it does, it has never felt that different to me. Um, culturally for sure it is. Um, your lifestyle is different. Um, but I would tell you that the, the constructs of the businesses really aren't that much different. You, you lean into certain areas more certainly in a, in a, in a, in a race team environment, you're, you don't have as many revenue streams and you're very dependent upon you know, your partnerships and, and that, that sponsorship revenue. Certainly you get into baseball and football, you have more levers to pull. Um, but, but the one thing that, that I would say about, you know, the racing business in general, and this has been specific, whether it was, you know, stock cars or, or, or open wheel or, or even sports cars that we started kind of at the end of my tenure with chip um, it it's much more entrepreneurial right? There's more space to play. Now you can hang yourself with that noose too, but there's so much more space to play. And we talk about this all the time with our partners and our team of the Dolphins is a fantastic job delivering value, you know, to our partners. But I would still say that we can do so much more creative work in the motorsports environment. And I do think that's why you see some really long-term investments, not just in F1, but across the motorsports landscape, which, you know, for most of us is our lifeblood. And, and that is different. And so I would say that learning that, um, I guess, learning that skill set, you know, amongst kind of the organizations I worked with Tom in or for Tom in really has made me better today. Right. And it's made me probably create, try to create value in different ways. This may be a bit different than I would have if I kind of the last, you know, 25 years in motorsport only. So um, where, where, where you fall short though, when you jump from sport to sport a bit is, you know, those long-term relationships and those guys or gals that you've been sitting with for 20 years or that you raced here with, and now you're racing here. You don't, I don't have those stories, right? So I've got to be a bit of a quick study and, and, and it, it forces us to make sure we're very authentic and transparent early so that people understand like we are what we are and we're going to say what we do. Is there a difference in culture between the racing world and the, I'll just lump them together, but the baseball NFL world? Yeah, like all the racing people call it stick and ball, right? So it's right. like the stick and right. ball. Versus the, yeah, I, I do think there is. I mean, I do think there's a different person that's willing to to give up the time. And and really, it's a, it's, a, it's a big personal choice. Like you, I can tell you after, you know, eight years in the NFL or a little over eight and a half years in the NFL, you can live a, a balanced existence there. Now, you work hard. Like our, our team works hard at the Dolphins. But 
they're they work but you're not going to Bahrain. Right, right. They work hard <laughs> locally for the most part. Not yeah. everybody. Certainly yeah. everybody, like the, the team itself and the support staff certainly travels to all the away games. And it does start to grind, I, I as I can testify. But it's different than jumping on planes 36 times a year like the NASCAR guys do or 24 times a year all over the world like the Formula One community does. And I, I do think it takes a different person. And if you don't get up, and I, I used to always say this, right? If, if you don't get up, on either qualifying day or race day, and you don't have a little bit of adrenaline pumping, you're doing the wrong thing. And it's time yeah. for you to get home. Right. And, you know, to this day, I still, I still love race day. I still, I, it's funny. I, I've got a, a, a good friend who always gives me a hard time because when we were doing the hall of fame thing, there were, there were, we had more cars than there were spots. Right. So we were 46, 48 cars that were trying to qualify back in the heyday in NASCAR and we were one of those cars on the cusp. We were a small team, small budget, trying to work with Gibbs, try to find the right package. And every Friday, like I would get like physically ill, right? Because it was qualifying day, right? And the difference for our business in making the race and not making the race is, you know, almost catastrophic. Um, and so I think, I, I think that's probably just a bit of a different DNA set than maybe kind of our stick and ball partners. Um, but I would tell you here, it, we've been able to see, we, we, we feel very supportive. Those of us who spend all of our time on F1, I, I, I think I can speak for the group that we feel incredibly supported, um, by kind of our, our, our partners and the rest of the team who spend time also on tennis and events and, and football. And so I do think there's a common place that we all share, um, whether it's putting on great events or whether it's just you know, wanting to, to compete and execute at a high level, um, but I do think there's a bit of a different DNA in someone who's willing to, you know, go out and, you know, get to the racetrack at 9 a.m. for a, a, a 2.15, you know, green flag. Right. <laughs> Your time with the Chiefs, I mean, you, it must be remarkable now to look back um, on on the success of the team. It, it, it just continues. And the Hunt family and and everything that that they've done to build that enterprise. What's the culture of that team like? Yeah, again, I mean, I've been blessed, right? I mean, I, I had a, an incredible experience with Chip and and multiple other experiences with different owners. And then I land, you know, back home and, you know, uh, the team I grew up cheering for and, yeah. um, and the Hunt family, right? And I wasn't lucky enough to know, know Lamar. Um, you know, he passed before I got there. But, you know, that family, you know, that, that is certainly kind of uh, patriarch now by Clark, but you know, Dan and Sharon and Lamar Jr., it's just a special group of people. Um, you know, they are um, so committed to the Kansas City community. They're they're committed to their, their employees. They're committed to the players. They're committed to the coaching staff. You know, they are, they are, they are a treasure. And they look at that, at that team as a community asset. They really do. And, and you feel it when you walk in that building. I was back, back for Thanksgiving home. And, and again, we still have great friends within that organization and, and Brett Beach invited us out. Who's the GM there to, to go to the, to go to the game. And um, like, it's just a different environment. And what we have here at Hard Rock Stadium and last night was Monday night football. And this place was live. And it's part of the great things about the NFL. Like every stadium has a little bit of a different feel and Hard Rock was amazing last night. Um, but Arrowhead on, on, you know, on the Thanksgiving game was also amazing, you know, and, and part of that is just the community that really puts their arms around these teams and through thick and thin is kind of there for them. So um, great family learned a ton, a uh, huge education on, um, you know, what really community marketing is. Um, they do it as well as anybody in, in the national football league, for sure. 
Um, and certainly a great ride with, you know, uh, Coach Reed and, and, and Pat and the rest of the guys. They, they made it a lot of fun for us. And Taylor Swift. I mean, you're yeah, leaving the biggest name. Yes, of course. <laughs> you can't build. You can't build that kind of marketing, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> if I could have built that, I would have. Trust me. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting when we had we had Tom on to talk about the evolution of of the race and even even the evolution of the of the entire enterprise that you just alluded to with um, tennis and and uh, and football and racing and everything else. What was your reaction when he asked you to join and you were going to take on what is arguably uh, one of the biggest, well, certainly globally, one of the biggest circuits, but growing substantially here in America? Well, uh, to provide just a bit of context, during during COVID, my wife and I bought a uh, uh, 80-some, 82-year-old house and, you know, around the corner from where I grew up and we started renovating it. Um, and that took about a year. And so Tom called, uh, I think it was a week or so before, no, maybe two or three weeks before we moved in. Um, and then we moved in to the new house. Um, and that week we decided to go to Miami. So, um, look, I, so much for the renovation. Yeah, but it turned out great. Um, and my wife did a wonderful job. I did very little, um, but (laughs) very happy with it. Um, you know, it, it wasn't about it, look, I have to say this. It, it it was much more about the opportunity to build something with him and Steve than it was the worldwide stage. Um, the worldwide stage has been like a, an ancillary benefit that has been very rich for my family and I personally, right? But it's not why we did it. Like, and I can't be more honest with you than that. Like we did it because I believed in what he and Steve were building here. I have a deep passion for the motorsport world and the motorsport community. I love the concept of doing something in what I believe to be the pinnacle of motorsport. Um, I was up for the challenge, but it was really a lot more about starting something and building it with him. Um, and look, I, one guy that has to get some credit here, you know, Richard Cregan, who is kind of a historic promoter, you know, had, you know, a couple decades with Toyota motorsport and then um, was basically built Abu Dhabi from scratch um, was involved as a, in, in the Russian race races, and then um, was Tom's first hire on this race here. Um, and he was here from the very beginning during when they were talking about doing it downtown. And you know, Tom steered the vision back to the Hard Rock um, campus, and you know, he was he was absolutely uh, critical to us being able to get this thing off the ground. And he still is involved. You know, I, I, I was in London last week and we spent a couple hours just talking about challenges I'm working through and him offering advice and, um, and he'll be with us again next May. So again, back to the point, right. It was really about coming to wanting to do something with Tom and, and building something. And, and Richard was a key part of those early days for sure. So when you think about renovating the house and you're now leaving Kansas and you're going to go to Miami and now fast forward to where we are today, your life's completely different, isn't it, Tyler? I mean, I mean, maybe the, the, the city is, it, the experiences have been different. Yeah. I'll say that. I mean, I, 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 you know, I've seen a lot more of the world in the last, you know, two and a half years than I had in the previous two and a half. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. It's not Newton anymore. It is not Newton. I can tell you that it's right. uh, look, look, I mean, I think we're all, we're all products of this, right? Like I, I can't, my, my wife is, is, you know, she's my best friend. She's my support system. She's I'm hers. I hope. Um, although it feels like 
she's smart me a lot more generally, but um, you know, she's so strong. She was the driver for us to come do this. You know, she believes that it was the right thing for us and our family. And my kids have been they're 10 and eight now and they love South Florida. We love living here. We love being a part of this community. It's, it's so rich. It's diverse. It's culturally different, different foods and experiences that we get to have. And, um, you know, it's not bad to, you know, be standing out, you know, two nights ago at a little league game at, you know, six o'clock in the evening and it's 84 degrees. It's not too bad. Right. So, um, look, I, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm truthfully very, I'm, I'm a Midwestern guy at heart. Like I'm still the kid who is sweeping the garage out, listening to the Indy 500 and, you know, uh, that's still, I think my DNA, but you know, our families really love this adventure and that's how we look at it. And NF1 and and this organization has been an absolute blessing to us. A few final things on the race uh, as we get ready for for next May. There's been a lot of talk, um, and I know you've responded, but you can respond on this program for the first time about turning this into a night race. Yeah. Now, no plans? Not for this year. So 2024 will not be a night race. Um, I Look, we are open to it. Um, yeah. Tom is continuously challenging us to do things better, bigger, and 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 frankly make it a great experience for the fans, right? Like if that, if we don't have that first, um, everything else will fall down. Um, so look, we, I, I mean, what, what the F1 team has done in Vegas and what they've done in um, Singapore, uh, what they're going to do in Bahrain and Jeddah next year with those night races. I mean, I, I think they've just done an excellent job um, putting those shows together. And, and at night, those cars just take on a whole different mythology. Um, so is, is it something we're looking at? We will always consider it. We had long conversations about it last summer and we just decided moving into this year that not, we're not going to do a night race. We're going to evolve and we will take another hard look at it come next summer. And if it's the right thing for our fan base and our key stakeholders, we'll like we always do, we'll attack it and do everything we can to make sure that it's the best possible experience. You know, what can the future of this race look like? If you if you think about the vision of just making it more interesting and bigger, not necessarily bigger, because I know you've said this is not a volume yeah. play for you, right? It, it isn't. It is. It, I, I I can't be more honest about it. Right? It, it, that is not what we're held to. I don't. I don't have to go in and give Tom and Steve reports about how many people are coming or how many people came. Right. Certainly, we want to make sure that it, it's a spectacle and it's big and it's exciting and it's international and. But but I, I actually think that the evolution of this race will will continue to harken back to what, what Tom and Steve set out to be from the very beginning, which was they wanted two things. They wanted to make sure that the racing environment itself, the racetrack, the barriers, the turns, the curbing was of top quality. And that, that the race teams and the drivers and the FIA and F1 knew that when they showed up, they were coming to one of the best circuits in the world, right? And Tilka has helped us get there. Geobridge has helped us to get there. A lot of companies have, have weighed in to help us to get there, but we are very proud of the circuit that we put out. The second point that they made from the very beginning was, this is going to be about the fans. We're going to create these experiences that people come and have these moments that they carry with them forever, right? And, and so, how do, how, but how do you do that and how do you evolve in that? It, we're Again, we're so fortunate to be part of Miami, right? It is the food, the art, the music, the environment, the culture, the diversity, the feel of this amazing community. And we work really hard to make sure that when you come to the race, you feel differently. It is not like going to another race. It is. It should be a very, very different feel. And for those people who love to sit on the 20th row of the start-finish grandstand at every Grand Prix, 
Like that's our person that we want to make sure when they come to Miami, it feels different. And so that will be our guiding light as we continue to evolve. And will there be changes and evolutions? And will we look at different configurations and different products? And of course, we'll do that every single year. But most importantly, we got to listen to the fan base who's coming, the fan base who's buying, the fan base who's experiencing and listen. And when they give us feedback, make sure that we react. Well, and the drivers too. I mean, absolutely. I think it was Lando Norris who said, uh, when asked about Miami uh, just this past year, just this past iteration, he said, to quote him, the vibe's pretty sick so far. And the drivers have, of course, the three M's that they really admire the most, which historically has been Monaco, Melbourne, and Montreal. Yeah. But there's got to be a fourth M. We hope so. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we were fortunate enough to be nominated at the Autosport Awards. Um, I guess it was kind of last weekend. Um, so we were in London for a couple of days. You know, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, look, we're heading into year three. And... The, the spectacle that was Vegas, the historic um, like value of Le Mans, and then our friends at Silverstone who are the winners that night. I mean, for us to be in that group and considered amongst that group, I, we came back and like, we should celebrate that. We should be proud that we're pumped. We're in that group. And and certainly look, what, what Francois does in Montreal and, and Monaco speaks for itself and uh, they make Memorial Day weekend uh, kind of, they, they started off, they always started off Memorial Day for me. It was always the get up and get going so you can watch yep. Monaco and then on into the Indy 500 and the 600, the Coke 600. So, um, so you, you think about where you come from in Newton, Kansas and sweeping the garages out, listening to it. And then I got the chance to do the double with Chip. You know, we all, I watched 1100 miles of racing um, with him one year. And that's, those are gifts that I, I, I can't put a value on, but look, I, I, I think we have the opportunity to continue to build this race and to continue to build, but we need to be authentic about it. It needs to be authentically about Miami. You can never lose sight of those key stakeholders. And create something that you coined as the Netflix effect for the event. Look, I, I think the Netflix effect is part of what's driven the U.S. interest, right? And sure. and it certainly is a part of, but it is not all of it, right? It is a portion of it. And but look, Bobby gets credit for it, what he's done in, in in Coda. We would hopefully like to fit into that ecosystem a bit. Is what we've tried to do to create a new environment for U.S. fans, and certainly what Renee has done in Vegas warrants that as well. But you know, we should all be leaning into that the drivers, the partners, like Red Bull's livery launch in New York last year. We're hearing a whole bunch of livery launches planned for stateside this year. Last night at the Dolphins game, we got some news about Ferrari making some announcements with Miami focused in the coming, you know, next couple of months. Like it, we, we are fortunate to be in a place where these brands want to bring big announcements and big moments. And as, as, a, as, a, as a country, we need to open our arms to that and make sure that we are welcoming, you know, that environment and making sure we're building on top of that. And if we do that, this has a really bright future. And F1 has a really bright future in this country. From Newton, Kansas, all the way to Miami, and now the third iteration of the Miami Grand Prix to come uh, this, this forthcoming May. He is humble and he is the driving force. <laughs> he and his team are the driving force behind all of this. Tyler, I can't thank you enough for being on the program, for telling us a little bit about the car culture that exists down there in South Florida. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for all you do for all of us in the sport and uh, we'll be listening. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again to my guest today, Tyler F., president of the Formula One Miami Grand Prix. To see my interview with Tyler, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 135 interviews and more than a thousand videos. I'm your host, Jason Stein. 
We'll see you down the road.